Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Amen. Uh, good morning. Um, it is good to be here. I, uh, I want to start, actually, just with some really good news. It's mostly just good news for me, so you can be ready for that. But some of you have heard, um, we, Tyler and I, uh, have met with a pastor that's in Westchester, and uh, he started a church like 15 years ago, and we were asking him wisdom on church planting, and how do you do this, and what do you do there, and just taking notes ferociously. And one of the things that he said is he said, at one point in the year, both of you at separate times, he said, at one point, uh, you should step away from the church for like three weeks, and, uh, and he said, you do this for two reasons. One, to show yourself that you're not that important, which I think is awesome. And the second is, yeah, sure, same, something might break while you're gone. Um, and then you know what you can work on, but it's not going to ruin the body of Christ. And I love that he said that. And so the good news for me, uh, or the exciting thing for me, is my three weeks start like right after this service. And uh, I'm very excited. And I'm not just like excited because I want to get away from you guys. Like I'm excited because one, I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. So Catherine and I are going. It's going to be super fun. And then the third week that I'm kind of away, uh, I'm going to be going up to a lake place that Catherine's family has. And I'm going to be doing a silent retreat just on my own. So if you've done one, I want to hear about it. But uh, doing a silent retreat for like 36 hours and then just reading and praying and studying, and I'm very, very excited for that time as well. And I don't want to assume that you care, but uh, I just wanted to let you know that the last year, it's been like a one-year sprint. I'm very tired. Like, I'm leaving today very tired, but I am not burnt out, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for that. I mean, and you've maybe heard stories of pastors or especially church planters where if you start a church, like, it is a one-year sprint. You're not supposed to sprint marathons. I feel like I've sprinted a marathon in the last year, but I'm not leaving like mad at you guys. I'm not leaving mad at Tyler. I'm not even burnt out. Like I, when I come back, this is my church. This is like, I'm excited to come back to this place, but I am very tired and I'm so thankful to the Lord that um, he has protected me. He's protected us from any kind of pastoral burnout because I want to be in this for the long haul. Uh, I know I look like I'm 24, Right. But uh, I want to be in, I'm 30, 31, almost 32, and I want to be in this for like 35, 40 more years. And, uh, and part of the way we feel like we can do that uh, is doing things like this. So thank you for caring. If you don't care, that's fine. Just don't tell me because that'll hurt my feelings. But thank you for caring. Also, thank you for being like such an awesome church. It is a, it is a delight. It is a pleasure to lead and to get to be a part of this community. I love it. And uh, obviously, thank you to my wife, who has probably prevented me from burnout. And then, of course, thank you to Tyler, who's going to let me go do this. And I get to be away, and you get to run the ship. And I'm not even a little bit worried about leaving and what's going to happen here. So super thankful for that. Let's get to the Bible. I know that's why you're here. We are in a series. If you're new here, we're in a series through the book of Acts. Uh, We've been going pretty slowly. We felt like, okay, this is a book about a new church. We're a new church. There's probably some things we could learn. So we're in Acts 3 today. 
uh, Acts 3, and it's a really exciting chapter of the Bible. And I want to start actually by just first apologizing for all the Bible that we're about to read. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry we're going to read so much of the Bible. But relevance is coming. Relevance is coming. Give me 10 minutes. We're going to be in Acts 3, which means, of course, we have to start in Isaiah 35. So Isaiah 35, verse 1. This is a messianic uh, chapter of the Bible. Isaiah's projecting what it's going to look like in the messianic kingdom after Messiah comes, what are going to be some of the characteristics of that. And he says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. And then in verse 5 he says, And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. And so again, Isaiah 35, it's this messianic uh, passage of Scripture where he's saying, look, this is what it's going to be like when the kingdom comes. And if you've been around, especially for the first part of uh, Acts 2, we've talked about what it looks like when the kingdom comes. And theologians call this, this is going to sound confusing, but they call the moment we're living in right now the already but not yet kingdom. The already but not yet kingdom. And what that means is God is our, Jesus has already come and the kingdom is here. And he still is coming again and the kingdom will fully be realized then. It's, uh, it's like a 60 degree day in the middle of March where summer's come but it's still going to snow like two or three more times. But you can taste what's coming. And so the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is still fully to come. And he starts to talk about, hey, if you want to be on the lookout for this kingdom, specifically for Messiah, because this is a Jewish audience, they're waiting for the Messiah. If you want to be on the lookout for him, here's some symptoms of what you can start to look for, and this is how you'll know that he has come. He says, you'll know when the eyes of the blind are opened, when the deaf start to hear, when the mute start to speak, and when the lame leap for joy. Uh, David Guzik, he's a, a commentator on the Bible. He says this of Isaiah 35. He said, when, when God's salvation comes, miraculous power comes with it. And he's speaking of Jesus. He said, you'll know that God's salvation, Jesus, has come when miraculous power comes as well. So Isaiah says these things, and 700 years later, Jesus walks on the earth, and we know some about the life that Jesus lived and the things that he did, and he had a lot of followers, and he said, you know, his best follower, or even the one that prepared the way for him, was this guy's cousin, John, John the Baptist, and in Jesus' words, not mine, John was the greatest born among women, which is simply just the greatest. It's a flowery way of saying he's the greatest, and so John the Baptist is now in jail, and he sends his disciples, in Matthew 11, he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus. And it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And I'll stop there. Um, I don't know if you've seen this before, but this is, you know, the greatest born among women. Uh, the one that Jesus, said, I mean, is Jesus' cousin, and he says, are you the one that's supposed to come? He, he has like doubts. And I don't know if you've ever caught that. John the Baptist, like the forerunner of Jesus, has doubts or at least starts to ask some questions about Jesus. And that must mean it's okay for us, followers of Jesus or prospective followers of Jesus, or you're not quite sure, there shouldn't be any kind of condemnation or shame for asking questions about Jesus. I know a pivotal moment in my life was when I investigated the resurrection myself 
wasn't just something my parents taught me or I learned in Sunday school. And I made my faith my own. And I thought, if this thing's true, the whole thing must be true. But if this thing's not true, I might be wasting my time. And it was uh, towards the end of college, right after I graduated, I started to look into it myself. And I was convinced, okay, this seems to be real. But I had to ask the questions in order to get to the answer. And so John the Baptist, greatest born among women, is asking questions. That must mean it's okay for us to ask questions of our faith if we're honestly looking for answers. And right now, deconstruction, so hot, so hot. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's deconstructing. The problem with deconstruction is if you're not reconstructing it to look like something else. And so lots of people are asking questions in and around the church. And I think that's okay. If John the Baptist can do it, we can do it too. But we want to be actually seeking the answers that starts to reconstruct our faith that hopefully looks more like Jesus and not more like culture. So John the Baptist asked these questions. And if I was Jesus, I would have said, yes, it's me. Jesus doesn't do that, right? He never, (laughs) yes or no questions are like not his strong suit. Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And John the Baptist, a good Jewish follower, he would have known the Old Testament or what they would have just called scripture. He's like, oh yeah, Isaiah 35, of course. I totally forgot that when salvation comes, miracles are going to come with them. I forgot that when the Messiah comes and ushers in the kingdom, these are going to be part of the thing. And so we read Matthew 11, and it sounds eerily, Jesus gives a response that sounds eerily like Isaiah 35, when he said, this is what it's going to look like when the kingdom comes. And Jesus just had to remind John, hey, here's the symptoms of the kingdom. Here's what you should be on the lookout. And John immediately gets it. And it's like, oh yeah, of course. That's what happens when the Messiah comes. And the big question around this time, I have to imagine, is, um, okay, so if the kingdom's here, if Jesus ushered in this kingdom, is this just a like him thing, or do these miracles continue? It's a big question still in the church today. Like, was this just a Jesus thing, or is this like a, he started it, and now it's not going to stop? And a big answer comes from Acts 3, because Jesus doing miracles is really impressive, but Is it possible that those things still happen even after he's gone and ascended to heaven? Is the spirit of Jesus still at work in the earth? And so in Acts 3, finally we've gotten here, relevance is here. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon, and a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And we know from Acts 4, this guy was 40 years old lame from birth, like no expectation of healing, and he also appears to be pretty smart because he wants to be right outside the temple where I have to imagine people felt more of an unction to give because you're closer to God. And so he's always at this gate. This is kind of where, this is his place of work. He's begging at this certain gate outside the temple. And it says when, P, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. (laughs) 
lame from birth. He's the only question on this guy's mind. We don't even know his name right now. The only question on his mind is this going to be a bread thing or is this going to be a coin? Like he has no expectation. 40 years laying at this gate, no thought of being healed. And Peter looks at him and says, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, this is Acts 3, 7, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Guys, out of nowhere, a healing, like God breaks in, a healing occurs. Out of no, this guy wasn't looking for it, he wasn't praying for it that we can tell, and out of nowhere, God breaks in. And there's theological implications to Acts 3, 7, where this guy gets healed, and it means that the kingdom of God is still moving forward with miracles, Amen. The kingdom of God is still being advanced forward, and apparently those miracles that Jesus was doing, they're still happening after he is gone. There's a theological implication that the kingdom still has the miraculous a part of it. And then there's just like an emotional implication, and it's this. God's awesome. God's like awesome. There's a guy in my house group, Ben, and he gets worked up sometimes, and he just says, like he just screams out like, God's awesome. And we all laugh because it's kind of Ben's line. But also, like, it's kind of true, right? God's, like, actually awesome. And he cares so much about this guy, a nameless, faceless guy. We don't know who he is. And God could have done any number of things. But he said, no, the way that you're there, that's not how it's supposed to be. You're, I, don't, I don't want you laying on the ground. I, I, want, I want you fully healed. And so God breaks through. In my opinion, not only because there's theological implications and the kingdom is here, but also just because God is awesome. And, and what we're about to do is not like a normal church thing. And uh, if it doesn't go well, I might never do it again. But I'm going to shut off my mic, and we're going to tell God that he's awesome. Like all of us, and if you're new, if you're not quite sure about this Jesus thing, there is no pressure. But um, we're going to like have it like 30 seconds of prayer. And I want you to tell God out loud that he's awesome. And I want you to tell him the reasons that you think he's awesome. What's he done? How's he come through? What are the ways that he's moved in the past? And, and spoiler alert, you're not reminding him. Like, he hasn't forgotten. But you are reminding your soul. You're reminding your soul that God has come through in the past. And uh, so on the count of three, again, out loud, 30 seconds, we're just going to take a moment. And I want you to start to pray some praises back to God and tell him that he's awesome. So one, two, Thank you. God, we thank you that you are real and that you do break through. And, and I know each, here's, I don't know everyone's name, I don't know everyone in this room, but I promise, Lord, I know you've come through for them in some way or another. And God, would you even right now, would you start to remind us some of the ways that you've come through? Yeah, I've, even this morning, God, you've reminded me of ways that you've answered prayers that I've prayed. And so God, thank you. Thank you that you're not just a God who's up there, but you're a God who's intimately involved right here. And so Acts 7, um, and I know what you're wondering, there's a question that's on everyone's mind, and so I'll go ahead and address that. The question is, 
I wonder if the Greek root word in Isaiah 35 is the same Greek root word in Acts 3. And the answer is yes, of course. It's leaped. Uh, Halomai is the Greek word. It's this Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so immediately, Halomai, he leaps up, and it's the same thing that Isaiah was talking about 700 years before. And he said, here's how you'll know. Here's one of the ways that you'll know that the kingdom of God has come. The lame will sleep up. They will leap up, and they'll start to walk again. And so they're reminded that the kingdom has actually come. And miracles, the supernatural, and specifically this one, they aren't just random or fun, although they are so cool to see God break through, but God is not just doing miracles randomly, but he's showing that he's still here. He's showing that the kingdom of God is still advancing. And Isaiah spoke about it a long time ago. Jesus did it. John the Baptist had to be reminded of it. And we're still living in a moment where God breaks through the natural and starts to do miracles. Um, This is in your bulletin. This is in your notes. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of miracles. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of miracles. And it won't always be this way when Jesus comes back and we are fully in his presence. It'll be supernatural, but there won't be a need for miracles because everything will be as it should. But in this in-between time, in the already but not yet kingdom, we have the privilege of partnering with God and seeing him break through in incredible ways. Um, one of my favorite things to study is uh, like revival history, like a, a sect of Christian, Christian history, but revival history. And there's a few things in revivals that happen. Like all of them have a lot of the same components. And the last one that happened, at least here in America, it was called the Jesus People Movement. And it was mostly on the West Coast, some in Florida, But it was started, I mean, there's a few ways that it started, but it started, first of all, when schools were starting to remove God and the young were kind of rebelling against the establishment and they were setting their own values. Um, So again, nothing to do with what's going on now. But God starts to break in and obviously the Vietnam War is happening in the 60s and 70s and people are searching for truth. And one of the things that happened was there's this church in Southern California like 50-person church, uh, a guy named Chuck Smith, and he was leading a church called Calvary Chapel. And it was a good church, and they were so dedicated to the presence of God. And, uh, and so they're just going about their day at the same time. Uh, I think it was around San Francisco. This 19-year-old uh, who was a hippie, like long hair, this guy, his name's Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, Lonnie Frisbee, while, while on LSD, uh, encounters God. And it's not a recommendation I'm making. Uh, There's other ways to encounter God. But at least for Lonnie, he gets saved. He encounters Jesus. And he starts living a radical life. Immediately turns from that. And he starts living a radical life. And miracles start to follow everywhere that Lonnie goes. And Lonnie and Chuck Smith, who are very unlikely, like Chuck Smith, polished pastor, leading this like good, solid church, and this like long-haired hippie, start to do ministry together, and people just start getting baptized one after another in the ocean. There's crazy pictures, hundreds of people getting baptized in this like cove of an ocean, and this church in six months goes from 50 to 2,000. And then there started to be signs and wonders and healings that broke out all along San Francisco, especially where this like kind of um, progressive idea of religion started to happen, and people are searching for truth in this area called like Haight-Nashbury, As they're searching for that, Lonnie starts to go around and a bunch of his friends and they start to see healings and people that are blind start to see and the uh, lame start to walk. And a revival starts to take place, especially along the West Coast 
in the 60s and the 70s. And every revival, if you study almost every revival that I've ever read about, has a few pieces of it. First, it starts with some kind of prayer movement. Um, Humbly speaking, it rarely starts with a sermon, just honestly. It starts with a prayer movement. It starts usually when people get so desperate that they start to fast. And there's usually a moment of like deep repentance that moves a group of people, usually a small group of people, to holiness. And one of the outcomes of revival, one of the ways you know that God's presence is visiting in a really special way is people start to give their life to Jesus in like masses and miracles start to happen. It's one of the hallmarks of a revival because miracles are just a sign that the kingdom outpost is expanding. The supernatural start to break in. So in Acts 3, this is happening. We see it in Acts 2 as well. And people start to gather because this guy they've known for 40 years starts to walk. And it says, when Peter saw this, as, Peter, as people started to gather, when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? And so Peter, who I think is quite the opportunist, he starts to see, he does this in Acts 2 as well. He sees people gather because there's some kind of commotion, and he starts to preach a message. It's the same message from Acts 2. He starts to talk simply about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he asked this question, and I love this question. He said, guys, why does this surprise you? I mean, and basically what he's saying is, remember, when the Messiah comes, this is what we expected. The Messiah is here. And he starts to show them how Jesus was that Messiah, but he starts it with a question, why does this surprise you? And in the same way, it's a good question for us. When we start to see or hear about the miraculous around, I think it's okay to say, like, this isn't surprising. I mean, in some ways, it's amazing, and we want to praise God for it. In other ways, it's like, man, this isn't that surprising. Like, this is what was supposed to always happen when the kingdom of God invades a place. And so Peter starts to preach, and it's one of the ways you can tell if a move of God is authentically of God is if the message that follows points to Jesus. And we've probably heard like horror stories of churches or movements that um, see the Spirit of God move and healing, and it becomes a way to make a lot of money, or it becomes a way to bring glory or fame to that person. And one of the authentic ways that you can tell and screen, like, oh man, this is God moving, is if there's a message that immediately follows that points straight to Jesus. This is in your notes, um, a healthy culture of miracles. If we want to be a healthy culture of miracles, uh, it's usually accompanied by a message, and that message points to Jesus. And so Peter starts to preach, and the rest of Acts 3 is him preaching this message after this miracle. And he says a couple of things. First, he talks about Jesus and who he is, and then he gives a response. And he asks for a response. And he says, here's the response that you should have. Specifically, he's asking for people to put their faith in Jesus. And, uh, and every time a miracle happens, it is an opportunity for faith to increase. And not just saving faith, although that's what we see here. But also, like, every time I see a miracle, I don't get saved again. But it does stir in my heart this faith for more of God. And so Peter says, look, guys, if there's a miracle, if God's broken in, then that means faith is sure to follow because faith and miracles are often connected. And there's no equation. People have tried to put equations around this, like, well, if it's the person that prays that has faith, 
then that's how they get healed. Or no, no, you've got to have faith if you're getting prayer. And we see Jesus do it a number of ways. And again, love a good equation just doesn't seem to be one in healing prayer. But what we do see is faith is always a component of God breaking in through the supernatural. And, uh, and I was praying this week, and I was praying specifically because I studied a bunch in Acts 3, and I was like, okay, this is good, love this, all this stuff. But I was like, but God, what do we need to hear this week? And it's kind of my normal rhythm, at least of preparing for a message, is I want to know a bunch of stuff, but then I want to hear, like, God, what do you have for City Church OTR this week? And I felt like the Lord said um, a community of miracles and that the church is supposed to be a community of miracles. And, and not just miracles, like we are other things. The church is called to be a number of things. Talked about this last week. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be on mission. Uh, our highest goal, our highest calling has to be bringing Jesus glory. But if we're living out the fullness of what a church is, it also is going to include miracles. And that's probably a little scary to some of us and probably new to a lot of us. But I believe if the church is all that it's supposed to be, a community of miracles would be one of those things that describes us. And I think a big reason that at least I, but probably we don't pursue God for the supernatural more often is because of disappointment. Because we... Uh, are very good, maybe this is just me, but you're very good, I'm very good at remembering all the times God didn't come through. And we're remembering all the times that we prayed something and God didn't answer. Or the times we feel like God didn't come through, or at least he didn't come through in the way that we wanted. And we have a strangely good memory. I have a very good memory when it comes to remembering all the ways God hasn't come through. And I believe that's the enemy's favorite tool to keep us from more of God is to remind us of disappointment and to remind us that if we go out on a limb for him again, he might not show up. And I was thinking this week, and I want to ask this question because I've asked it of me and it's been tough to wrestle with, but what if our compassion and our faith was greater than our disappointment? Because compassion moves us. It's more than sympathy. Compassion actually moves us to do something And what if our compassion, if we saw someone uh, with a busted ankle or we heard the report of cancer or we heard about uh, a homeless situation, like what if our compassion for that scenario and our faith in God was greater than the disappointment of the times God hasn't come through? I know it would cause me to do a whole lot more praying for people on the streets, in my family room, on a Sunday than what I do now. But often my disappointment is the clearest thing, and my faith and my compassion are somewhere behind it. I want to ask you to ask yourself that same question. What if your compassion and your faith was greater than your disappointment? And I think in order to get there, we've got to do some hard processing. I've done some hard processing with the Lord, and I think there's probably more to come, of all the ways that I feel like God has disappointed me, or he hasn't come through. He didn't come through in the way that I wanted and it's really good to be honest with the Lord and say, hey, I feel like you let me down here. He can, he can take it. I know that as I'm processing, I'm the one that's wrong. He didn't fail. But it's good to remind at least yourself, man, I feel like there is disappointment in my life. And it's one of the big things that keeps us from praying for the supernatural. Um, this is in your notes. It says the gifts of the Spirit are free. 
but maturity is expensive. The gifts of the Spirit are free, but maturity is expensive. And what that means is um, we believe that if you're following Jesus, you have the Spirit of God. That's really clear throughout Scripture. And that means the supernatural can and will, if you want, will flow through you. If you pray for miracles, you will see miracles. I promise. But the maturity and how to use the gifts of the Spirit does take time. I, uh, I love uh, what Pastor Williams, a couple weeks ago, he was a guest from Las Vegas, super boring, had no energy at all. Um, if you're laughing, you were here. Not boring, lots of energy. And I love, he wasn't even the point of his message, but at one point he said, um, you have to get older with time, but you don't have to get more spiritually mature. He said, you have to get older with time, but you don't have to get more spiritually mature. So there's a scenario in our lives where we are getting older, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're getting wiser. Don't say any names. But there's a scenario where that could be true. As the older I get, it doesn't mean I'm getting closer to God, and that's a choice that we make. And so we not only want to be people where the Spirit of God flows through and we see miracles, but we want to be people that are mature in them. Uh, One pastor said that, The lifestyle of the miraculous is uh, made up of two things. It's thankfulness and hunger. It's taking time to say thank you for how God breaks through, and then it's hunger for the more of God. And uh, and I've shortened it because I thought that quote was way too long. Yes, Lord, more Lord. Everybody say it. Yes, Lord, more Lord. So yes, Lord, we want, yes, Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the way that you've broken through. I don't want to just ignore the fact that you came through and that's what you're supposed to do. I want to take a moment and I want to say thank you. Yes, Lord. Yes to all that you've done and more. We want more. And the crazy thing is that I will never get to a point where I've had all that God has to offer me. You will never get to a point where he's like, I, I got nothing else for you. You'll never, on this side of heaven, you'll never get to a point where he's like, man, you've achieved all that you can, you've had all of my presence that you can have. There is always more of God. There is always more of God available. And so I I love this phrase. You don't have to adopt it. I made it up, so it probably won't take off. But yes, Lord, more, Lord, because we want to remember the things that he's done and we want to ask for more of his presence. And as you start to see the miraculous happen, If you hear a story, if you see something, I want to know about it. We want to know about it. I'll be the first to run on stage because I want to share what God's doing in our community. And I want to read the Bible. Like, this is why we're here. I want to read about Acts, and I want to live it. Amen? I don't want to just hear what Peter did. I want to hear what Peter did, and then I want to hear about the stories of what we've done out in the community. Uh, I One of the most profound moments, trips of my life is like six years ago, I went to India. Catherine and I went to India with uh, nine people from our uh, old church. And if you've been around, I've probably told a story about India because I saw some crazy stuff. Um, craziest things I've ever seen in my life. And whenever I think about India, whenever you know, these friends get together and talk about India, we always talk about the crazy stuff and the, you know, the healing this and the uh, deliverance there. And what I often forget is actually the first four days of our trip in India were incredibly boring. Uh, we went there, and we were ready to go. We were ready to see God move, and we weren't really allowed. The, the couple people that were leading, both an Indian man and the leader from our church, both didn't really let us do much. They were really nervous about, you know, well, you can't really do ministry here. The government doesn't like it. And so um, we didn't do hardly anything for 
the first three days. And the morning of the third day, our team was really disappointed. And so we, we just got this word, and it's, you know, in the Bible, it wasn't that profound. But we felt like the Lord said, I want you to be the salt of the earth. And we're like, okay, well, that's good. Let's do something. So we went out and bought a little, literally like a salt shaker. <laughs> and, uh, and we went and we walked through the Temple Mount and the Red Light District. And basically everywhere we went, we just kind of sprinkled salt um, around the city that we were in. And uh, that was it. We ran out of salt, end of our day. The fourth morning, we were supposed to lead a youth conference. And so we show up like ready for youth games and toys and all this. And youth in India, fun fact, means anybody under 50. So we show up, and we got games and like little things we're going to do, and it's like, you guys are a bunch of 45-year-old men and women. So uh, the youth conference shifted really quickly, and we did some teaching that morning. It was great. It was really fun. Again, so bored, though. I mean, really not what we flew across the world to do. And during lunch, uh, my friend Trey was there. And he, uh, he, was, he is vegetarian, so he always got his food before the rest of us. And whenever they would, anywhere we went, they'd bring out his food first. And I'd look at it, and I'd be like, that's mine, plus chicken. Like, that was just the way it went. This is what I'm getting, plus chicken. It was like a prophecy. And uh, I remember, because I was so hungry, we went long that day, and it was a late lunch. And I remember looking at his tray, because I was ready to know what was in my future. And I saw um, rice, I still remember the tray, rice, curry, half of a banana, and then a slice of bread. And that was it. And, uh, and I was like, okay, that's what I'm having, plus chicken. And uh, two minutes later, Trey's like, guys, um, did anybody look at my tray when it came out? And this is confusing. It's Trey's tray. <laughs> uh, and before I could say anything, my friend Graham was like, yeah, bro, I'm so hungry. I like checked out everything. And he's like, was there salt on my tray? And before I could say no, I looked, and there was a little pillar of salt on his tray. Now, the rest of this you can believe or not believe. It's up to you. I saw, I remember so distinctly, I was one of the couple people that, like, really checked out his tray because I was the hungriest. And I was like, bro, there was definitely no salt on your tray. I looked at that. I, like, ate that thing with my eyes. And he's like, I didn't see salt either. And Graham's like, it's the Lord. It's the, he had this southern accent. It's the Lord, bro. And, uh, and so none of... Well, like, let's not freak out. So I walked with Trey to the back to the kitchen where the people that were making the food. And through a translator, you know, Trey's like, hey, why'd you put salt on my tray? And finally, I remember the translator telling us, she's like, we don't have salt here. Again, believe it, not, I, I don't know if I'd believe it if I wasn't the one who saw this tray. And again, nobody got saved because, I, be, I mean, I saw Salt, this little pillar of salt. We didn't bottle it up. It's not special. We probably would have made it an idol if we did. But we saw this little thing of salt appear. And instantly, we knew, our team knew, okay, God's on the move. And we needed to be reminded of that because it felt like nothing was on the move. And, uh, and literally, right after this lunch, all kinds of crazy stuff started to break out. I mean, we like tried to do teaching the rest of the afternoon, but it turned into like crazy worship and people getting healed and delivered of all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, it was insane. We saw two people that week right after this that were blind, that had their sight restored. It's just like what we read in Acts. And it started by this obscure miracle where God just wanted to, it was almost like he winked at us. And he's like, hey, I'm still here. 
I'm still moving. I'm still roaming on the earth. And the craziest week of my life started with three and a half days of really boring nothing until God moved and he spoke through a little thing of salt and said, I'm here and I'm still doing something. Guys, write this down. This is really important. God's awesome. God is awesome. And God's on the move and he's still doing things in the earth. He's actual, and it's not just India in 2014. It's not just Jerusalem in 30 AD. It's Cincinnati in 2021. God is still on the move, and God is still working through the people that are following him. God is awesome. And I totally believe you can be saved. You can have a relationship with Jesus and never see a miracle. I don't want to overplay this. You don't have to see miracles to be saved. This isn't a salvific thing. But The fullness of the church and the fullness of what it means to walk with Jesus now means that you just will. If you're around long enough, I promise, you will see God move in the supernatural. I think it's a sign that his kingdom has come. From Isaiah 35 to Acts 3 to Matthew 11, we believe that the kingdom has come. And I want to just take a moment now. I want to stir faith in the room. And I don't know if a pillar of salt's coming, but I want to just remind you that God's come through for you before. I promise. I want you to remind yourself of the moments that God has come through for you before. And I want to ask the question, what if he did it again? And, uh, and we're going to take a moment this morning to actually pray for that. Um, so if you, if you need physical healing, um, we don't want to just pray and hope it happens next week. I want to pray right now. We want to pray right now. If you have any kind of mental or emotional healing that you need, if you hear voices, if you can't sleep at night, if you have nightmares, those have to go. They have no place here. We want to pray for you. And uh, I love this quote by John Wimber. He says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I'm going to ask you to take a little bit of a risk this morning. Um, Normally we are praying in the back, but there's a team that's ready to pray right now. And I'm going to ask if everyone would stand up as we go into worship. I'm going to ask if you, uh, if you need healing or if you want to stand in the gap for someone. It could be a sprained ankle. It could be a report of cancer. We want to pray for you. And uh, if you want healing, mental, emotional, physical, would you actually just start to come up here? And we're going to fill kind of the sides of this stage. And it's going to be scary. If you're the first one to come down, it's going to be scary. I know. But we really believe God wants to move. And we want to pray and we want to believe God would actually break through for healing. And so if you want healing, would you just come down right now? There's a team of us that are ready to pray. We want to see God break through in the supernatural. If you need healing for you, healing for a family member, stand in the gap for them. But we want to believe that it's not just Acts 3, it's not just Matthew 11, but it's Cincinnati in 2021. So let's worship and let's pray. And let's believe that it's not just the God of back then, but he's the God right now who is still actively moving among us.